lift your hand with me. Father, we thank you for your great love for us. We thank you that you are unfailing in your love and we give you praise this day. Thank you that our hearts will be lifted. We will be strengthened today in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Give the Lord a big praise. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. And give the singers and musicians a good hand as well. All right. All right, all right. You may be seated. Great to see you. Everybody's settling in really good. Let's, uh, I'm, I've asked the healing room workers next Sunday to work with me in the healing service. And so let's make sure we bring sick folks. And I'm going to share a message that I've never preached in my whole life, but I plan to preach it sometime, and I'm going to preach it next Sunday morning. And uh, my title is going to be, uh, We Wish to See Jesus, uh, which is a phrase right out of the Bible, and you'll see uh, it'll be much of a personal testimony for me, but it will also be some powerful truths. And so let's bring people who are sick, people who are hurting, and let's, uh, every service we believe Jesus heals. It's not that we have one service kind of set aside just for that, but uh, we are calling it a healing Sunday, and we want to believe God for strength, that you will have a long life, and that you will do everything that you were meant to do in life. All right. Are we all set to go? Just work on that microphone, get the sound. It's kind of a little, I feel a little tinny, you know. Sometimes I don't like to be tinny. I like to be, I like to be, uh, have a deep bass. Daddy sang bass. That's me. Well, I'm talking on, um, on this uh, theme, and I realize I'm not going to get through it today, but I'll start it. Stay the course for your destiny. There's a destiny for your life. There's some place where you're supposed to be. I'm not talking about a geographical location, but I'm talking about as a person in your life. Now, here's an interesting phrase, and I only excerpt one line out of 1 Timothy 1.19, concerning the faith having suffered shipwreck. I'll probably pull that verse out more in another teaching and, and show it in its context, but it just imposes the idea that it is possible to suffer shipwreck. Now, we don't use that expression. We may say somebody got a burnout, somebody quit, Somebody had a setback. Somebody has withdrawn. The Bible talks about people like these, the different people that Paul mentions that they have suffered shipwreck. They, they, they've kind of gone, you know, offside, so to speak. They, they, they're drifting away. And so sometimes somebody can look very strong, but the danger is always there of drifting off course. We know the famous movie of the Titanic, which is, of course, the true story of the Titanic, who was, that was considered an unsinkable ship, and yet it sank. And so the Bible uses this illustration to lovingly warn us, uh, don't suffer shipwreck. And, 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 and why does that happen? Well, the Bible gives several reasons. It says it could be because we're not properly anchored, or we're just kind of, we're just drifting, letting things happen, or we simply were aiming in the wrong direction. Now, there is an interesting chapter in the Bible that is, I must say, in my many years of preaching, I have only on a few occasions preached from this chapter. It's in the book of Acts. It's at chapter 27. And there, you, you know, the story is told of Paul heading to the destination of Rome and having much struggle on the journey. Frankly speaking, the way the Bible is written, it would be easy 
to summarize the whole chapter in three verses. Paul left Jerusalem and via Caesarea boarded a ship and after much struggle and an angel spoke and then there was more struggle, he arrived in Rome. That's about like two verses. But there are 44 verses given to this story. It's right up there with the story in Acts chapter 2 of the day of Pentecost. So I thought, you know, well, why don't we give so little attention to that story that the Bible considered worthy of so much blow-by-blow description. So I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but I'm going to teach a little bit today, start a little bit to teach today from that chapter. It starts like this, Acts 27.1. When it was decided that we would sail for Italy because uh, Paul was going to see the emperor, uh, it says Paul and some of the other prisoners were handed over to a centurion named Julius. And then the story unfolds uh, of all kinds of difficulties, headwinds, uh, struggles. They were fighting for survival. And it goes on to describe the pain and the emotions in people's hearts. And finally, after about 10 verses, they come to the, uh, one of the tips of the, of the island of Crete. And I drop down to verse 9, and I just keep reading there, which says, much time had been lost. Maybe you feel like that sometimes. <laughs> you think, well, I'm not where I thought I would be. Much time has been lost. And sailing had become dangerous because by now it was after the Day of Atonement. So it was kind of towards winter. Paul warned, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our own lives also. But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, he followed the advice of the captain, of the owner of the ship. Then I drop down a few more verses. When a gentle it says in one translation, an enticing southerly wind began to blow. They saw their opportunity. So they lifted anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster swept down, and the ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind. So we let her drive. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor star appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope. How many would say this sounds like a pretty hopeless account and we're only about halfway into it. It's going to get worse. Now an angel is going to appear. He was going to give a message to Paul. So that ought to help. Can we agree on that? But in fact, even after the angel appeared, there's all kinds of problems. There are 14 days minimum left of problems. And and, and so what are we learning so far from this reading? And I want to speak this into our life as I've pondered the amazing amount of time that is given in Scripture to to this passage. I would say, first of all, life has unexpected detours and delays. Can I get a small yes to that? Maybe if you're very young, you don't know what I'm talking about, but if you're beyond 25, 30, you have probably already experienced that everything didn't turn out like you thought it would. When you finished high school, where would you think that you would, where, where did you think you would be when you were 30, 40, or 50? When you first received Christ, where, was the, where did you see your future? Have some things not 
gone exactly like you thought? You got detoured maybe and thought, well, that, that, this is a good direction. And then you say, hey, I'm, I've, I've got to get back. I, gotta, I lost my way somehow. Maybe disappointments and setbacks. And so life has delays. Another thing we can just observe from this reading is that God puts spiritual leaders in place to help people. Help people. Because Paul was, he was kind of God's messenger here. He said, you know, I can see, I, I can just discern, I sense that the way we're going, it's going to be dangerous. We're going to lose a lot of cargo. We're going to lose even lives. This is a hazardous journey. So, so, so God puts people in our way. And of course, they didn't listen to, to Paul. It says the centurion listened to the captain and the owner. He says, well, they know best. And, and, and so, you know, I'm not saying this is true for every pastor, but I believe God ordained pastors and apostles. They are able to sense danger. But sometimes people don't want to listen to their pastor. They would rather listen to their banker or their counselor or their psychiatrist, which may have valuable information. But I'm just letting you know that God called, God anointed pastors and apostles and leaders sense danger. In fact, when I started in ministry, I became aware that I was able to sense danger. But I didn't want to say anything because I thought I don't want to interfere with people's lives. People come and say to me, I'm going to do this and this and that. And I would say, well, I'm not their Lord. I'm not their Savior. I don't want to say too much. Well, God bless you, brother. You go ahead. And a couple of years later, they come and say, oh, you wouldn't believe the mess I'm in. And I was thinking, I sensed that when you talked to me two years ago. So I got around to thinking, maybe I'm supposed to tell people something. I'm a little slow learning this, you know. Maybe I should, maybe, maybe, maybe I'm not, maybe pastor or apostle or whatever people call me. It's not just the title to put up, which I don't use, by the way. But, but maybe it's actually an anointing to help people. Because sometimes when people then go in the wrong direction... Of course, God is a restorer, but there can be a lot of side effects. People can do things, and it affects their children. It affects their business. It affects their finances. It affects everything. You know, that's why I always say to people, it's good to know those who labor among you. The Bible says that some people come to me and say, oh, I got this prophetic word, and I ran with it, and now I'm in a mess. And I say lovingly, so you want me to straighten out the word that this prophet spoke to you? I said, can I have the phone number? They said, oh, I, I don't know. I don't know his name. He came from Alabama. And he was just here once in Canada, and he gave me this word. I said, well, you want me to solve the problem caused because you followed some prophet from Alabama whose phone number you don't know and you don't know his name and now you come to me and I'm supposed to pray for a bailout. I will pray for a bailout, but don't make me explain this. Come on now. Some people go in the wrong direction because they just listen to people they don't know. Not many amens today, but I'm giving you a meat and potatoes teaching today. Everybody turn to your neighbor and says, this is meat and potatoes. And it's going to be a little spice added later on. Tell them, a little spice coming up a little later on. I, I, I'm saying sometimes, you know, because we want God to do such great things, we don't listen to the voice that we naturally should listen to. We, we, get, we get caught up in it. 
And so they could have avoided a lot of this pain. Then, then we learn something else. There's always the enticement of gentle southerly winds. And this could be northerly or southerly. I don't mean it, you know, don't go to Florida for a holiday. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying there can be gentle breezes in our life that come along and say, oh, go over there. Do this. Oh, why don't you do this? Why don't you do this? And, you know, there's so many people out there today, especially with the Internet and everywhere, everybody has a secret to share. They have the latest thing. If you take this pill every day, you will lose 50 pounds in 50 days, and, and you'll probably die if you lost that much in 50 days. And if you do this, here, here's a secret. I had a word from the Lord, and I had this. You know, that, that's not how God leads people. Number one, God leads you by the peace of God in your heart. And then there are people who you know that you can speak to and, and who are accountable for what they said. But so that they were following these southerly winds. This seems good. They didn't know that a hurricane was around the corner because it looked so good. Then we learned something else, another principle. In a storm, people tend to unload cargo. So they're throwing the cargo over. Now, you know what cargo is if you're on a ship? It's something valuable. I mean, if you go on a journey, you, you take the necessities, what you need. My dear friend, Pastor Leonard from Sweden, who has come to visit us, he, he was, somebody took his hand luggage, his iPad, laptop, passport, took everything at the airport in, in Sweden. Wow. You don't want that to happen. Because he didn't just pack, you know, everything in the kitchen. He just put the most valuable things. Now, thank God, he got it all back, and even the police said it was a miracle. But anyhow, my point is, you pack what's valuable. So they had packed valuable cargo. What do we need for the trip? And now they're throwing it overboard. People tend to do that when the storm of life hits. They give up on everything. They give up on even God's call. They give up on, on what God has anointed them for. They give up on, on things that they considered precious. So storms of life, yes, God is there. He is a refuge in the storm. But you know, there's something even greater, and that is keep avoiding those storms. Don't go from one storm to another, but go with God. Go with the Prince of Peace. Or so somebody say amen to that. But I'm talking about if you hit the storm, you can do, you can do uh, several different things here. You can be just driven by the wind. You say, well, I'm out of control. Or you can do what it says in verse 29, and I'm dropping down. Fearing that we should be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors and prayed for daylight. <laughs> Pretty hopeless situation. I said, okay. We've lost everything. Cargo has gone overboard. Let's just drop four anchors and let's just pray that the daylight will come and hope for the best. And so I wanted to take that little story, little expression there, to cast anchors. I'm talking about stay the course for your destiny. So you've been going a little bit up and down and this way and that way and you feel a little bit disappointed with the results. So what do you do? Number one, cast your anchor now i'm not going to talk about four anchors today i don't have time for that because i got thinking of the most fundamental the most important anchor for our life and i said that's going to take me the rest of the sunday morning and then i'll finish up with some more at a future date so the number one anchor i would say in the storm is your personal relationship with jesus christ sometimes 
People say, well, you know, I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. If it almost sounds to someone who's listening and almost corny, what do you mean you have a personal relationship with Jesus? What does that mean? Someone talked a little bit about what it means. What does it mean to have a personal relationship with Jesus? Does it mean that you, you, your feelings, you can, oh, and I cried, I felt, well, that could happen. But it, it, there's something much more deeper than that. So I want to go to Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 17 where you have the word anchor. You will notice it will come up in that scripture where it says, speaking of how God dealt with Abraham, verse 17, because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs uh, of what was promised. We, we are the heirs of what God has promised, by the way. He confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it's impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. How many want to be greatly encouraged this morning? All right. And it says, we have this hope as an anchor. There you have the word, an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. He is our high priest forever. <laughs> Praise God. So we can say here, Jesus is the anchor for our soul. When our soul, our emotions is tossed by the winds of change, Jesus and our particular clinging to Holding on to Jesus is our anchor for the soul. So let me just highlight a few things in this scripture. There's so much I couldn't cover it all. But number one, I would say Jesus is the foundation for my hope. You know, especially when the year is in the beginning, you hear a lot of sermons about hope. You know, people preach about hope. Oh, you know, I hear people preach like, oh, you know, this is a new year. This is your year of increase. This is your year of blessing. This is the year that God is going to do great things in your life. It's like, it's like God is sitting here at the calendar, December 31st. Hey, now, January 1st, I changed my mind. And now, <laughs> and then you go to next year and you say, well, let's take that sermon I heard last New Year's and we'll just revamp that. I find sometimes when preachers are preaching like this, of course, this is a, like a pep talk, like a motivational speech, but it's kind of shallow. I don't like shallow hope. I like hope. I'm a hopeful person. I am an optimist. Are you an optimist? I can't be a pessimist and be saved. It's impossible. I'm an optimist, but my optimism is not just, oh, it's a new year. It's a new opportunity. Oh, this is a new beginning. I'm not into platitudes or cliches. I have a foundation for my hope. And that foundation is the Lord God himself shall be the hope of his people. Joel 3.16. You, you see, if you're going to clap, do a good job. Uh, you, you know, hope, let me define it. Hope is the confident expectation of good things. Confident expectation of good things. I'm confidently expecting good things. You know, hope is so important. I, I always hesitate to tell this. This is a little gross. If you're a real animal lover, you might not like me. But, but Duke University, I'm sure they wouldn't do it today because we're more politically correct today. But some decades ago, they did an experiment using rats. 
I'm not comparing you with a rat. I'm just speaking to myself now here. And so they had this little swimming pool, little basin of water, and they would put the rat in there. There was no escape, but there was the little fake escape hatch with the light shining through. And that rat would swim hours, days, until finally it had no strength left and it would drown. Now they would put a rat of the same size, same age, in the same basin of water, but without the escape hatch and without the light in total darkness. And the rat would just swim, relax, and then drown. Interesting. So that sense of light that was there then, that's, that, that seeing some hope made people fight much harder. So, so having hope is very, very important. And we have hope. But, but if, if we just have shallow hope, if it's just platitudes and, and statements without a foundation, then, then our hope could quickly become hopelessness. But I'm here to announce we have realistic hope. Hallelujah. Colossians 1.27 says, God will to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. God's glory is his kindness, his love, his favor. So I have realistic hope of God's favor, God's kindness shining in my life. That's my personal relationship with Jesus. You know, that's why I say I'm not a pessimist, I'm an optimist. Maybe you were born a pessimist. You come from a pessimistic family. Your mother was a pessimist. Your father was a pessimist. The sides of the mouth were always pointing downward. So you inherited pessimism. But then you had a mental revolution because you met Jesus Christ and you discovered there is hope, there is a future, there is good things because of Jesus Christ. Oh, come on now. So, so when I say I have a personal relationship with Jesus, I'm saying he's the foundation for my hope. And let me get you more from this scripture. He shows me God's unchanging nature. And he says here, there were two immutable things in which God cannot lie. And if you would study the context with Abraham, those two are God's nature and God's word. Now, God's nature is very important. It answers the question, who God is and also how God behaves. Who is God? How does God behave? You, you know, to some people who are critical of the Bible, I've heard them say, well, it seems like God is schizophrenic. You know, one day he's full of love and mercy. And the next day he's ready to hit you, hit you upside the head because you haven't been living good enough. So, so I understand that. I understand how people reach those conclusions. So I, I'm saying who is God? Jesus. I have a personal relationship with Jesus. Jesus shows me the true nature of God. Jesus is the final answer. Jesus is not one of many opinions you have like, you know, Elijah and Moses and Jeremiah and Isaiah and Hosea and Amos and Obadiah. And then comes Jesus and, you know, they kind of all together formulate the whole. 
No, all those prophets saw in part and they prophesied in part. But God who spoke many times various glimpses of truth through prophets, he has now spoken through Jesus Christ. And Jesus is the total expression of God's glory. Let, let me show you what I mean here. You know, the Old Testament, I've taught on this much more in depth, but I'm just going to throw it out there. Throughout the Old Testament, we have two conflicting views of God constantly expressed. Let me give you an example. For example, Jeremiah is my first example. In Jeremiah 31, 3, Jeremiah says, from God, God says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn you. Isn't that beautiful? How many get warm, fuzzy feelings hearing God telling you that? Come on. Are you getting warm, fuzzy feelings? God is saying, I've loved you. Not, not with a temporary love, with an everlasting love. No end. And, and that love is expressed in kindness. I'm just drawn. I'm pulling you. I'm pulling you. Ooh, yes, I feel good. I feel goosebumps. But then the same day, guy Jeremiah, he wrote another book called Lamentations. And I don't even want to quote Lamentations, the first two chapters. I'll just give you the summary. Go to that. I have it there. What does it say in Lamentations 1 and 2? It says, God shamed Jerusalem. God is an enemy who kills you. God rejects and abandons and destroys without mercy. I don't have so many warm, fuzzy feelings right now. I say, well, with a God with everlasting love and kindness never ends, he's shaming people. I don't like being shamed. Makes me blush. Kills, has no mercy. Well, there's no hallelujahs in the room back there. But then we can go to Lamentations chapter 3, and things are looking up. Because here Jeremiah says, though the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed, because his compassion fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I said, okay, I feel goosebumps again. Oh, I feel much better right now. Oh, oh, God loves me. His, his compassion, they don't fail. His grace is new every morning. His mercy is new every morning. So you say, well, it seems a little bit ambivalent. Like Lamentations 1 and 2, God is kind of harsh. Just want to kill people. And the next verse, he's, next chapter, he's like full of faithfulness. You go to, don't look at me like that, I know. I know some people want to go to church on Sunday morning and not address any serious topic, just keep it light and happy and bouncy. But how many are glad that I do some deep sea fishing? I'm actually teaching the Bible. And you, I've, I've given lengthy Bible studies on this. You can get much more. I'm submitting to you that these two views of God, they coexist. They coexist throughout the whole Old Testament. So how, well, which, one, which one is it? Which one is for us? Jesus settles that. Jesus proves who God's true nature is. And I submit to you, if Isaiah or Jeremiah or David contradicts Jesus, Jesus stands. Everybody has to bow for Jesus. Everybody prophesied in part. Let me give you another example. Let me give another. Are, are you okay for a little deep sea fishing? Are you okay with that? Or should I just go, oh, this is a new year. This is your year of new beginnings. Should I just, should I just rattle your cage or can we do a little serious study? For example, in Jesus' first sermon, 
He said in Luke 4, 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recover sight to the blind, to liberate those who are oppressed, proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And then he says, then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. That's a very strange statement. There are many times when Jesus is reading the Bible, and I assume every time he read it, he closed the book. That's what you do, right? You read, and then you close the book. But here, it, it kind of makes a big deal about it. That he closed the book. Turn to your neighbor and say, he closed the book. It's a big deal. Of course you closed the book. So why is it accentuated here that he closed the book? Because he's quoting from Isaiah. And here's how Isaiah said it. He said, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. Jesus, you mean you are editing Isaiah? Getting quiet here now. Jesus stopped in the middle of the verse. And it, it makes a point of that he stopped. He didn't finish the verse. He just said, this is the acceptable year of the Lord. And he didn't read the part about the vengeance of our God. I'm saying Jesus is the final authority. We could find many similar things. Because some people say, why don't we preach vengeance? No, vengeance belongs to the Lord. And the Lord took vengeance on the devil and hell and sin and every evil thing when he conquered sin, death, and hell and rose again to give an everlasting victory. So our message today is not to teach vengeance. That's why Jesus closed the book and he said, we're going to finish with that. This is the acceptable year of the Lord. Oh, come on, are you getting something? I could give you many similar examples. So I'm saying to you, I have a personal relationship with Jesus. I don't have a personal relationship with Moses or Isaiah or Elijah. I like those guys. I mean, I think I like them. I haven't met them personally. But with Jesus, I have a personal relationship. Because I can trust Jesus. I'm holding on to Jesus. He is the, he is the, he, he cannot be, he cannot be destroyed. He is, he, 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 I'm holding on to him. He, 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 he shows me God's nature that God cannot deny who he is because he is what I see in Jesus. So I have a personal relationship with Jesus. That's my anchor in the storm. Let me give you some more. I got to hurry now. He is my high priest. I'm not even going to try to explain all that just to say that it's a big deal. That Jesus is our high priest is a big deal. Here's what it says in Hebrews 8.1. This is the main point. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty. He said, this is the main point. Turn to your neighbor and say, this is the main point. You know, I don't expect you to memorize the whole Bible, but maybe we could try for the main point. Especially the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews, you know, it's like a, it's a hard to read book. You can't read it late at night because you don't know what it says. It's like, it's just like words. And the sentences go on and on, comma, semicolon, colon, comma. It's hard. Are you with me? 
and there's all kinds of utensils in there that are made holy and sanctified and there's the red heifer you know about her and, and you say who is he talking about is this is this my cousin or my neighbor who, who is this I, I don't know you know you just give up and say forget the book of Hebrews but I'm saying I don't give up on it come to Bible school we'll teach you the book of Hebrews but for now can we get the main point how many are ready for the main point here is the main point we have a high priest and what's he doing he sat down meaning he's not working now he is sitting down why is he not working now why is it not your high priest trying to move your mountain now because he has already done it because it is finished he sat down complete and full salvation has been accomplished you see in the for the Hebrew people, they had a high priest who never sat down because there was no chair in the temple of the tabernacle. There was a table. There was a candlestick. There was a lot of things, but there's no chair. You couldn't sit down because that high priest, his work was never finished. As soon as they had brought a little offering to the Lord to remove sin, guess what the people of Israel were doing outside? They still kept on sinning. We had to run out again and make another offering. But we have a high priest who sat down. Hallelujah. That's my personal relationship with Jesus. I'm holding on to him because he's my high priest. It's not some flimsy emotional thing and now the music was good so I feel my relationship now it's strong and then when the music is not so good oh I don't feel anything now. No it's based on the fact he's my high priest. He knows everything about me. He knows every failure before I failed. He knows every mistake and sin before I ever did anything wrong. He knows everything about you and he still loves you just as you are. And if you fail, it's not like Jesus is, oh, oh, I got to fix this now. I better get up from my chair here. I got, oh, look at that. Look at Bertha. She failed. Oh, my God. We got to help her now. No, no, no. It's already done. It's finished. You are secure in the loving arms of Jesus Christ. I have a personal relationship with somebody who I trust because he's not like, oh, oh I'm going to reject you now. I'm going to love you now. I'm, no, no. He loves me with an everlasting love proven through Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Okay. I'm down to my last point here. Are you getting something out of this? Maybe you're in a storm. There are other anchors, but this is the number one. He is my refuge. You know, in, in this scripture here, Hebrews 6, it's like three illustrations merged into one. It says Jesus is our refuge and then he is an anchor for our soul. That's an illustration. And then it says we hold on to him. And that was a picture of what's called the brass altar, the bronze altar that had horns sticking out on each side. And what the idea was, as long as you hold on to those horns, which meant your sins were forgiven, your guilt was wiped out, and don't let anybody pull you off from that. You're holding on to that. You were safe. So you have those three illustrations merged in these few verses. The, the one about the refuge. In, the, in the, among the Hebrew people, 
through the provisions of the books of Moses and Joshua, they were special cities of refuge. So if you'd done something stupid or evil, now notice I'm not asking you to raise your hand to let me know if you've done anything stupid ever or anything evil or anything bad. I'm I'm just assuming that you haven't because you look so Sunday morning holy that I'm sure you have never done anything stupid, but just in case there was somebody who slipped in. Are you with me? So the city of refuge was for people who had done stupid, wrong things. Did God want them to do stupid and wrong things? No. But did God still love them even after they'd done stupid and wrong things? Hallelujah. So God said, I'm going to set up some cities called cities of refuge, and you can run them, and you'll be safe. And God said, I want easy access. I want signs up. Anytime there's a road, have a sign where the arrow is pointing, city of refuge, so you don't have to go and buy a map or go GPS. You just follow the signs, and you'll get there. And the idea was you flee there, and you stay there. And you would take a hold of this brass altar, which I'm speaking symbolically. And and you you, you would stay there and you wouldn't be pulled off. And it was for everyone. And and so here it says, Hebrews 6 picks this thought up. Jesus, he went beyond the veil. He took every guilt and shame upon himself. He, he, He is our savior. He is our sacrifice. He is our everything. And now we hold on to him. So if you're in trouble, you run to him. You just hold on to him and don't don't, don't leave him. Don't stay there. Cast your anchor. So there's several different illustrations from, from marine life, from naval, you know, occupation, from shipbuilding, from ships. Cast your anchor. Go for refuge. Hold on. And that will be an anchor for your soul. Hallelujah. So, so, the story in Acts 27 is about a hopeless situation. They had given up hope of surviving. They hadn't seen the sun and the stars for many days. They were in a complete wipeout and burnout. And they just were tossed. Maybe that's you. Or maybe you have experienced says, well, we just cast full anchor and we just pray for daylight to come. And the first of those four is your personal relationship with Jesus. So what I want to ask you to do right now in the closing minutes of this service, we're going to take a hold of Jesus as your refuge. You know, there's a lot of stupid things people can do. How, how many have, a, you know, I was joking before, we've all done stupid things, is that right? For example, we could say, what if someone was a smoker their whole life and then they got cancer? You say, well, you had it coming, buddy. But you have a refuge. His name is Jesus. And he still heals cancer. Come on. Somebody get excited about that. He still heals cancer. We we, we could do a little analysis. Yeah, well, you know, you smoke two packs a day for so many years. Oh, we can all lay it out for you. But you have a city of refuge. Maybe you made a wrong choice or something inside of you told you this is the wrong choice. Oh boy, I don't know, but I'm going to do it anyhow. I don't care. And you just did it and you found yourself in a hurricane of trouble. You have a refuge. We can run to Jesus. 
and take hold of him and just say, I'm not going to let go because Jesus has done for me what I couldn't do for myself, so I'm not going to let go. He went there taking my shame, taking my sickness, taking my guilt, and I'm running to him and I'm holding on to him, and you're going to get to your destination in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Give the Lord a big praise. Give the Lord a big praise. I always want to give an opportunity for people to taste and experience what we talked about. Would you bow your head with me right now? I'm speaking to people in this room. I want you to taste and experience what it is we are discussing. We're not just merely giving some little study, some little lecture on some spiritual topic because that's what we do. We believe that people's lives can be changed. We believe that this expression of personal relationship with Jesus, it is not just some huge expression that evangelical churches practice. It's not some shallow expression. It is a reality that I have a rock-solid hope. And if I make a mistake, I have a place where I can run and I will not be rejected. Jesus Christ is my hope. And so I want to ask you, if you have drifted, if your ship, so to speak, has drifted and the winds of shame and guilt and and regret and junk is just rising in front of you, I, I want to offer you to run to Jesus today. Maybe you say, I was going down a good course. I was going, you know, it was going good, but now I kind of, I kind of just ran aground. I want to ask you to run to Jesus because he is the great Savior. He's the great forgiver. I believe there's going to be many who say yes today. I want every head bowed right now. I want to pray a prayer in a moment and I'm going to ask you to be included in this prayer. This is a prayer of being restored to God, of acknowledging Jesus Christ as your Lord, of acknowledging that your sins are forgiven, put away, that the slate is wiped clean. And if you say, Peter, I need to be included in that prayer. I need to make that acknowledgement. And I believe you're not here by chance. I believe you're here for a purpose. And so I invite you because your life is important and you're here. I don't know how you ended up here. Maybe you come here all the time, or maybe you just happened to come today. But the Lord's Holy Spirit is touching your heart. He say, open up your heart. This is your opportunity. How many would say, Peter, I want to be included in this prayer? Just lift your hand way up high as a signal wherever you're sitting. You say, Peter, I want to be included. Lift your hand way up high. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you over here. Who else? Yes, God bless you. I see you also. I see another person over here. God bless you. This is so important. This is not... This is not some protocol. This is very important. I'm inviting you to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. If you say, I, I need to be restored to that. Anybody else? Lift your hand way up high. Lift it up way up high. God bless you. Anybody else? Yes. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Beautiful. Let's all stand together right now. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I want to in a moment pray. A prayer of healing. You say, I, I'm hurting in my body. We're going to hold on to Jesus as our healer. This afternoon, I'm going to be teaching about three observations about your supernatural supply. How many believe that there's a supernatural supply for you? I'm going to make three keen observations about it this afternoon. But that's not for now. That's for this afternoon. I want to pray with everybody here. Those who lifted your hands and others here. Would you pray this prayer with me? Would you say like this? Say, Heavenly Father. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for Jesus who took my sin and shame, who died in my place. And I acknowledge with my mouth, Jesus is Lord. 
come and live in me. Live big in me. And I change my thinking. I can't save myself. Jesus, you are my Savior. Thank you for new life. Amen. Take 15 seconds and lift your hand and just give praise to God right now. Thank you, Lord. Let's give big praise to Jesus. Come on, let me hear you give thanks to God all over this room. Give thanks to God right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Susan, can I have that little package if you have it there? Just give me one of those. Here's what we're going to do. Come on up here, Jermaine. Hallelujah. I, I like to give this to every one of you who lifted your hand. Would, I, could I, would it be all right if those of you who lifted your hand, I'm going to come down, I want to shake hands for you, say hi to you. Would you come on down? I'm going to give this to you personally. Would you come right now? Everybody who lifted your hand, right over here, right over here, over here. Come on quickly right now. But don't go anybody. No, nobody head for the doors yet. We're going to pray a very powerful prayer in a moment. Uh, but I want to give this to Give a big hand for the people coming right now. Come on. Come on, come on, come on. Everybody, there was about, I don't know, half a dozen people or so. Come on, give them a big hand right now. Give them a big hand. God bless you. God bless you. Hey, 